Hey, don't be conformed to the world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That is the theme, really, of all biblical study. We want our minds to be centered on God's truth. And as we kick off our evening video Bible study that we're going to have coming to you every Monday through Friday, we want your mind to be centered on God's truth. We want this particular study of Second Peter uh, to be uh, life-changing. We want it to be transforming as your mind gets settled into the truths of God's Word. So grab your Bibles. We're going to go through Second Peter. Uh, we're going to start in chapter 1, verse 1. We're just going to walk through this book. It's a great book. It's the last book that uh, we have from Peter. He's about to be martyred, and he knows it's coming, a lot like 2 Timothy. And what we've got here is a book that is filled with great exhortation for us and a lot of encouragement and plenty of challenge. So let's get started right now. Let's read just the first verse. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. Simeon, Peter a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. Let's just stop right there. Simeon is how the text in the ESV reads. Depending on your translation, you might have Simon there. Sometimes translations simply take this old Aramaic word, uh, the transliteration of the old Hebrew word, Simeon, and they turn it into Simon. And actually, if you go back in the earliest manuscripts of the Greek New Testament, you've got a set of manuscripts equally split between the reading Simeon and Simon. You just got to know that Simon, of course, is the Greek version of the Hebrew word Simeon, and Simeon was one of the 12 patriarchs of the Old Testament uh, that represented the 12 tribes of Israel. So Simeon, the second son of Jacob and Leah, uh, that's the name. Peter, as we call him, was called Simon. At least that's how he's recorded in the Gospels most of the time. Although, interestingly enough, in the book of Acts, one time he's referred to as Simeon, uh, that is his Hebrew name. That goes back to who he was. Now, of course, when he met Christ, he was known as Simon in the Greek version of that Simeon word, that, that Old Testament word. And Jesus said, I'm going to change your name. I'm going to make you uh, Peter, Peter meaning the rock. And, and that picture of the transformation of Simeon or Simon into Peter is, uh, is a big deal, which, by the way, as long as we're talking about his name, uh, Cephas is another name you might have heard. Uh, well, that word is the word for rock in Aramaic. So the differences here shouldn't confuse us, although I've done a pretty good job of that already. Simeon and Simon, Peter and Cephas, that's the new name, Peter and Cephas, and the old name, Simeon and Simon. That really speaks to the transformation of Peter, and we've seen that if, as we study the book of Acts, which we've been doing in the main auditorium, and when we get back, we're going to continue seeing uh, Simon or Simeon or Cephas or Peter's work in the church. And we know him as Peter because he is a new person. He's no longer hiding in the shadows in Caiaphas's courtyard. He's now filled with the Spirit. He's the leader of the early church, and uh, he's doing a great job as the senior pastor there in Jerusalem, facing the persecution and imprisonment and all that he's going through in leading the church. But that transformation, that's important here. Simeon, Peter, uh, and what he's called now is a servant. A lot of discussion, particularly among the people in our church that have looked at this word in the original language. I see t-shirts and sweatshirts running around our campus with the Greek word doulos. Doulos translates into this word here, servant. You could translate it slave. That's the stronger way to put it. And it's important for us to realize that Simeon, Peter, who had this old life and now has got a new life, sees his life as a uh, servant, a slave, a bondservant of Christ. Uh, he has, as we say it around here, an adipat attitude. He is ready to do anything at any time in any place for Christ. That's the mindset of anyone who 
follows Christ. That's at least how it ought to be. Jesus should be able to look at any of his followers and say to them, uh, hey, uh, take up your cross and follow me wherever that leading might take us. As he said in Matthew 19 to the rich young ruler, sell everything you have and come follow me. We're committed to doing whatever Christ asks us to do. And certainly Peter has that perspective. Simeon, Peter, a doulos, a slave, a servant, and not just a servant to do whatever God asks, but he steps up to do the thing that God asks him to do here, which is to be an apostle. Uh, that word is used in a non-technical sense to simply mean someone who's sent as a messenger, someone who's sent as an authorized agent of another person. But of course, in the New Testament, we have 12 apostles, and they're called the 12. And in the New Jerusalem, we're going to see there were 12 who served him in that role, I assume minus Judas, but the name of that 12th, which we can debate who that is, is going to be written on the foundation stones of the New Jerusalem. So these 12, Peter takes a role among those 12, and it's not just a role among the 12, he takes a prominent role within the 12. He's always listed first among the apostles, and certainly in the first nine chapters of the book of Acts, first 10 chapters, he is the prominent figure leading the church and preaching to the church as they met uh, daily on the Temple Mounts, moving from house to house. Peter was a key figure in all of this. So he's a sent one, an authorized one. That's why he has the ability to do some of the things that we've seen in the book of Acts. Uh, the miracle, the first one that we saw there in Acts chapter 4, where Peter heals the paraplegic, uh, he has a great role of being this founding leader of the church. Uh, Ephesians 2.20 says that the church has been built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. And it's his work, including the writing of Scripture, in this case, the book of 2 Peter. He's giving us revelatory truth from God. He's the founding uh, stone, if you will, of the church, and we're bricks being built into that. And we're grateful for Simon Peter or Simeon Peter's transformation, his willingness to be used by God and used in this very important way as an apostle, a sent one, one of the twelve of Jesus Christ, which as long as we're talking about words, we might as well divide that up. The idea of Jesus, you need to remember, is not his first name and Christ is not his last name. His proper name, Jesus, or in Hebrew, Yeshua, or the anglicized version of that in our English language, Joshua, simply means in Old Testament Hebrew, Yahweh saves. Yahweh saves. God, proper name, is the savior of people. Joshua, as we know him in the book of Joshua, or even in the book of Deuteronomy, becomes the understudy of Moses to bring the people out of bondage and out of the wilderness and into the promised land. And he, as a leader, saves the people. He leads them into the temporal salvation of being in the promised land and settling in that land. Of course, Jesus has that name given to him. Uh, we learn that in the early part of the Gospels where he's given the name Yeshua or uh, Yahweh saves because he's going to save the people, as the announcement of the angel says, save them from their sins, not just save them from the wilderness or temporal suffering. He's going to save them from the eternal consequences of their sin. And of course, that's what he does, Jesus. So that's his name. That's the name that God gave his son in the incarnation. And then, of course, uh, we have the title, Christ. Yeshua, Jesus, is the Christ. He's the Christos. That's the Greek version of the Hebrew Old Testament word, Mashiach. Mashiach is, we transliterate it, Messiah. Messiah means to be anointed. Anointed means that we have the oil poured on the head of three specific offices in the Old Testament. The prophets were anointed, the priests were anointed, and the kings were anointed in special ceremonies to set them apart in their capacity as leaders in Israel. So Jesus, 
the Savior, who's going to save his people from their sins, is the Christ. He's the one who fulfills the roles of prophet, priest, and king. There were plenty of people that were anointed and recognized as prophets and priests and kings, but never did they come together the way that they do in the person of Christ. He's the one that's expected, the Messiah that was expected. Simeon Peter, a servant, an apostle of Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ. Now here's the recipients. To those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours. There's just a great series of things there. The recipients. Obtained. That's a Greek word that's used only four times in the New Testament. It's the word, if you look it up in your Lagos software, you'll see the way that it is used. And it's used often of casting lots, uh, that you've had something come to you, that you've had something granted to you. As a matter of fact, that's how a lot of the lexicons and the Greek dictionaries describe it. You, you've been chosen to have this which is an interesting way to think about the faith that we have, is that God has chosen to grant us that faith. And I know a lot of people stumble over that, but I need you to think about that, how we are people who have been granted faith. The passage we quote all the time in Ephesians uh, chapter 2, verse 8, remember that verse? It says, For by grace you were saved through faith, and that is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God. What is a gift of God? Uh, what is not of our own doing? Well, salvation is not of our own doing. And the it in the passage, as grammarians will tell you, likely refers to not just the salvation, but grammatically referring to the faith itself. The faith is a gift that has been granted to us. We see that in the book of Acts, that repentance has been granted to people to have that experience by God's grace. Because in ourselves, we don't have the capacity to trust and we don't have the capacity to repent. Uh, so many passages we can look at. John 15, 16, I wrote down. And when Jesus looks at his, his followers, he says, you didn't choose me, but I chose you and I appointed you that you would go and bear fruit. Or, or John chapter 13, verse 18, John 13, 18, when he says, I'm not speaking of all of you, for I know who I have chosen. He says, but the, the scripture may be fulfilled. The one who ate bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. And he's distinguishing the faithful apostles who've been granted that position of being these faithful apostles with real, abiding, fruitful faith. And then in that case, Judas, who was a fake, obtained a faith, look at this phrase, of equal standing with ours. So uh, this is a good way to look at faith. Faith, there's no gradation, right? There's no distinction, no varsity faith and junior faith. There might be in how we exercise our trust from day to day. We're seeing that in the present crisis. A lot of people are trusting God more than other people. But as it relates to saving faith, there's only one kind the kind that casts ourselves uh, selves on, the, on the saving work of Christ. And that's a, a gift that has been granted to us, and it is uh, the same for everyone. The same kind of faith for every Christian is one type, one kind. And look what it says. It says, a faith of equal standing with ours. Well, Peter starts this as a singular here. Uh, he says, Simeon Peter, an apostle, singular, but he says a, a faith... Uh, that is equal or has the same standing as ours. He's referring there either to, think about ours, the plural, he's either referring to the apostles, because there's more than one apostle, obviously, or he's referring to the Jewish people. I mean, he was known as the Jewish apostle, and he's writing now to Gentiles in this book. And uh, either way, he's saying, listen, whether it's the Gentiles now having the kind of faith that saves the way the Gentiles are saved, or even the fact that you could be an apostle, you could be that primary preaching senior apostle, if you will, there in Jerusalem, and the faith that saves you, that puts you in right standing with God, it's the same faith. The faith, now notice the, the grammar carefully, 
of equal standing with ours. So the there's only one kind of faith, and then the standing, which I think sometimes we can think of our standing before God, and that clearly is the picture in Romans chapter 5, verse 1, that we've been justified by faith, and we've obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. We have a standing before God, that we all have equal access to God. The apostles don't have a different kind of salvation and a different kind of faith in God than we do. It's one kind of saving faith that makes us all priests, that makes us all right before God to have equal access to him. Uh, we often talk about the doctrine of the priesthood of the believer, that our faith is the same, that our access to God is the same. Obviously, some people have more knowledge. Some people may have more experience. Some Christians might have more wisdom, but we all have equal standing. Even the thief on the cross, when Jesus looked across to him and said, today you'll be with me in paradise, he's stating something about the faith that has been exercised, and we might say in this passage, obtained by that thief on the cross. And he's saying, your faith is as qualifying as Peter's faith, as anybody's faith. And you have equal standing before God. doesn't mean we have equal rewards in heaven, but it does mean we all have 100% salvation of equal standing as we would, as any Christian would. And how do we get that salvation? What does it look like? It says this, we've uh, had it with, by, by the means of, the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. The righteousness of our God and Savior. The righteousness that makes us right before God is not our own. Remember when Jesus was coming to be baptized there in Matthew and he, um, John the Baptist, don't baptize me. I should be baptizing you. And uh, I'm sorry, you, I should not be baptizing you, John said. You should be baptizing me. And um, Jesus said, fulfill it at this time or, or allow it at this time to fulfill all righteousness. That's Matthew chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. He fulfills all righteousness. He does everything rightly so that it might be imputed or credited to us so that we as Christians right, can have a standing as though we were Christ. We, are, we have the faith of the same caliber. We have the uh, relationship with God of the same caliber. That is all granted to us because of the righteousness granted to us in Christ. Let me just read a great passage from Philippians 3, verses 8 and 9. When Paul looks at all of his righteous deeds, and he says, everything I might have gained in terms of good deeds, he says, I've counted them as loss compared to the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things, and I count them rubbish that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God depends on faith. We trust him, your faith, my faith, if it's saving faith, same caliber, same standing. We get standing with God and we have equal access to God. We have equal acceptance and adoption before God. And all of that comes through a righteousness that's not our own. That's the gospel. That's the gospel you're sharing with your neighbors and your coworkers and friends as you continue to reach out during this hiatus. Know that we're talking about having it earned for us and not earning it ourselves. So critically important, this righteousness earned by Christ. And then one last phrase is if we had time for it, but here it comes. It says, that righteousness is of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, this is interesting because oftentimes we have a distinction between God the Father and um, Jesus, our Lord and our Savior in this case, the Savior and the, and the Christ, but in this case, the grammar of this passage in the original language has one 
definite article before the word God and the word Savior. So we're talking about Jesus Christ being our God and Savior. That's the way to read this. Some people might dispute that because they struggle with the doctrine. But the doctrine shouldn't make us stumble because we understand Jesus proved to be, he proved himself to be God in every way. By what he did, by what he received in terms of his worship, by how he forgave sins, he proved his deity. And in this passage, Peter makes very clear, at least in the grammar in this text, that this righteousness that we got comes from our God and Savior. He is perfect. His righteousness is holy and perfect. It's divine. It's, it's, he is deity in, in bodily form. And he is our, our Savior. He saved us. Just a great phrase that deals with the deity of Christ. Grammatically, this refers to one person, um, though it's not unusual throughout the New Testament to see God the Father distinguished in the descriptions with uh, Jesus Christ. I think of First uh, Peter chapter 1, verse 2. He talks about uh, being uh, according to the foreknowledge, our salvation, of God the Father and in the sanctification of the Spirit and for obedience to Jesus Christ. The distinctions of the persons of the Trinity, um, no problem distinguishing those persons, but in terms of divinity, uh, Jesus, of course, is God. Now, there's so much more we could say. That's verse 1. Simeon, Peter, a servant, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have, who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So I hope that as we get started in this book, you're going to get into it, dig into it, so we can look at any part of it uh, as we go through this. We'll look back on it and go, I remember the details of that. Maybe you took some notes. If not, hopefully it was just an encouragement and edifying for you as we grow in our knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's the goal here in our evening video Bible study. So we'll get back with you tomorrow on Tuesday, and we'll go into verse number two.